Good morning. I am uh, struggling a little bit. My heart has been racing since 9 o'clock last night, and so I'm going to power through, but I'm going to sit. So um, we're going to finish John, the book of John, this morning. And as we uh, close out, uh, we're going to cover this entire chapter, which we've actually done several times over the last two and a half years as we've been studying this book, John is just really different in, in teaching compared to Mark, which was one, and Colossians, some of the other books that are just so easily broken up into bite-sized sermons. Uh, John just is written in a radically different way. And so um, since we've done it many times today, we're just going to take the entire chapter, um, travel through it. Uh, we find Jesus' disciples here lost and without direction. Um, We can't fault them either. For the last three, nearly three years, they've been um, daily walking with Jesus. They have been learning from him and and, um, growing, maturing in in their faith. And and, um, they thought that they were getting ready to lead the nation. Actually, they thought they were going to they were getting ready to lead the world right alongside Jesus. But that's not what happened, at least not uh, in their human eyes. They would lead. Uh, it's, uh, it's exciting to see as we go into the book of Acts just how well they would lead. They would be applying all of the knowledge and experience that they learned from Jesus, but they would be doing it in a totally different way than they thought they would um, the truth is their leadership, though, would radically change the world and is still changing the world today. Um, but that's not where we find them in this passage. Uh, this passage, though, today we can find some principles that are very applicable to us, I believe, and I'm excited for um, the word that the Lord has for us today. So let's look at it. Verse 1, John chapter 21, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, interesting, I was, as I was studying this, the, the word Didymus means twin. So it is understood that, that Thomas had a twin brother. Isn't that interesting? Uh, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which would be John and James, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in a boat, but that night they caught nothing. <clears throat> so you have seven of the remaining 11 disciples here. And and also interesting, it's assumed that the two unnamed disciples were um, Philip and Andrew. So what you have here is is the first six chosen. You have Peter and uh, Andrew and James and John and Nathaniel and Philip. And then... um, Thomas, who learned his lesson last time, he doesn't want to miss out anymore. So I missed out the last time. I'm, I'm just going to stick around here and make sure that I don't miss out again. 
um, Jesus had appeared to all of them up to this point. We don't know exactly when this happened, um, but it was a various times that he appeared to his disciples after the resurrection. But from scripture, we, we can gather he didn't stay with them. He just appeared and then he disappeared. He would show up and this says this is the third time. Um, but at this point here, they're lost. And Peter is the leader. And look what happens. Verse 3 says, I'm going out to fish. Now, the original language of this statement is one of resignation or a decisive turn. Um, it's not a leisurely, hey, I don't have anything else to do. I'm going to go fishing. It was, I'm changing the direction of my life. Something has happened that has so deeply affected me that the direction I was going before, I'm not going to go anymore. I'm now going to go a to totally different direction. Again, you can't really blame him. For Peter, he had just had a colossal dramatic failure in denying Christ. He saw that his plan to lead the nation is completely destroyed and Jesus was crucified, which is the worst thing of all things. Now, we do know that they know he has been resurrected, but I would suggest that they don't fully understand the ramifications of that. Um, Jesus isn't living with them either. He just appears, and then he disappears. And so that's strange. Um, we don't know how long it's been since he has seen them either. So we know there's 40 days from resurrection to ascension in, in Acts chapter 1. This says it's the third time he appeared. It could have been, I mean, the la last chapter was, was uh, Thomas. And, you know, it could have been, for all we know, it could have been two, three weeks since they'd seen him. And he, he appears dramatically, and wow, that's crazy, and I don't know what to do about that. Uh, I think it was him. Hope it's him. I don't know what that means, and then he's gone. So was it a vision? Is it, is it real? Is it not real? I don't know what to do with that. And then, and then he's gone for days. And so they're just walking around lost. And so Peter is probably thinking, I don't know what else to do, but go back to what I know. By vocation, he was a fisherman before Jesus called him. And so the resignation, the redirect, I would submit to you is simply, I don't know what else to do. I guess I'll go back to what I'm good at. And the first point that I want to make here is disappointments and failures do not cancel the plan of God. Just because you failed. Just because someone has failed you, just because there's a disappointment that has come about in your life, whatever that may be, that doesn't mean that God's plans have changed. You see, people will fail, and people will fail you. You will fail. But if God couldn't work with broken people, he couldn't work with people. If God couldn't work with people who failed, he couldn't work with anyone. 
And if God had to change his plans every single time someone got in the way or someone got in their own way, then none of his plans would have ever come to fruition. You see, your plans and failures, your disappointments and failures don't change the plan of God. Peter had come to the conclusion that since, since things didn't work out the way he thought they would work out, then God's plans are out the window. But God's ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we know that Peter didn't have any idea of what God's plans were. We can see them. And it's not that Jesus didn't tell him either because he did. There's a record of that. But they weren't listening. Peter wasn't a very good listener. And neither are we. So, I mean, that's kind of the way it is. There's a second point. Your decisions affect the people around you. I am going this way. I'm going back here. This is what I'm going to do. And they said, we'll go with you. That sounds like a good idea. I don't know what I'm going to do either. I'll go too. Last weekend was our leadership conference, and we do it every year because the truth is every single one of us is a leader in some way, shape, or form. And your influence has a direct correlation to your ability. And so we make an investment in uh, you every year to bring people in from the outside to help us to grow in our leadership abilities, wherever that is. The greater your leadership skill, the greater your influence is to those around you. Peter was the primary leader of the disciples. He had the greatest influence. He wasn't chosen first. And I find that very interesting. His brother, Andrew, actually met Jesus first, and he brought Peter to Jesus, and Peter ended up being the chief leader. Uh, some interesting uh, facts about this. Um, we find the listing of the 12 apostles four times in the Bible. Matthew chapter 10, Mark chapter 3, Luke chapter 6, and Acts chapter 1. Each listing is in three groups of four, and each one has a sub-leader. Each group has a decreasing amount of information available to us about those individuals. And each group has a decreasing amount of relationship or overlap with Jesus. In all four listings, Peter is listed first. And it's not because he was chosen first. Uh, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 2 says, these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon who was called Peter. The, the word first here in the original text is the word protos, which means first in terms of rank. Peter was the chief leader. And some interesting facts about Peter. Um, his name is mentioned um, in the Gospels more than anyone else except Jesus. No one speaks as often as Peter and no one is spoken to by Jesus as often as Peter. No disciple is so rebuked by Jesus as Peter, and no disciple rebukes Jesus except Peter. 
None of the disciples confessed Christ as graphically as Peter does, and none of the disciples desert him as graphically as Peter does. Um, Peter was the chief leader. He had great influence. Um, he was quick to speak, and so he was used by the Lord. Um, he was a natural-born leader. He had passion and desire. I would submit to you that Peter wanted to be involved in anything and everything. He wanted to be a part of whatever Jesus is doing. Just let me get, let me get into the mix of that. I want to taste. Um, he was bold, and he showed tremendous courage throughout uh, the Gospels and, and into, um, in, into his own ministry he was probably naturally good at things, and so things probably came naturally easy to him. And so failure was probably something he was used to because people who are naturally good at things aren't afraid to try new things. Um, they're just not good at everything, and so it isn't for lack of trying. I think about my, my daughter, Lauren, um, She's naturally gifted in some things, and they just come easy to her. But she's not good at everything. Um, but she's willing to try anything. And the trying for her is, is part of the ride. I mean, she just loves trying new things. And her brother, on the other hand, is not cut out of that same fabric. If he couldn't make the basket the first time he shot, I'm not playing basketball. So Lauren doesn't, don't care. She just throw the, just keep throwing the ball. She can't even get it up to the hoop. Um, Peter is like that. He's the guy that got out of the boat. I want to do that. I'll try it. Isn't that the way you think of Peter? Problem with that is the weaknesses that come alongside it. You see, he was quick to speak, and he had to be rebuked. He was a natural leader, and in this particular episode, he was used to lead people outside of the will of God. He had passion and desire, and he used it to cut the ear off of the high priest's servant. Um, he was bold, but the opposite of boldness is cowardice, and he was a coward when it came down to it. You see, our strengths can be our weaknesses, but Jesus knew Peter, and sometimes he uses experiences, even failures, to show us where we need to grow so that we can be more effective and, and more prepared uh, for the ministry. Um, why am I covering all of this? Because as leaders, your decisions affect the people around you for good or bad. And as a believer, if you're a Christian, we're in a battle. We are in a spiritual battle. And we have an enemy out there that is waging war against us. Remember, remember Peter, Jesus said, you are the rock on which I will build my church. And the devil knew that. Before they left the upper room, just before they go out to the garden, 
Jesus says this in Luke chapter 22, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat. How did he do that? Well, one way is right here in John chapter 21. I'm going back to what I know. I'm going back to fish. I'm throwing away all of these things that I thought I was going to do. Obviously, I'm not going to get to do them the way I thought I would. And so I'm out of here. And everybody else says, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good deal. We'll go too. The devil knows the potential that these men have. And so if he can get in Peter's head and stay there, then he can use the disappointments, he can use the failures, and he can keep them neutralized. God's will is not always accomplished. You ever thought about that? You might say, well, how, what do you mean by that? God's God. Second Peter chapter 3 says this, the Lord's not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he's patient with you, not willing for anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. It's not God's will that any would perish. It is his will that everyone would come to repentance. But people perish every single day without coming to repentance. And the devil, you got to think right at this point, boy, if I can get these guys thinking about how their plans aren't going to turn out the way they thought it was going to turn out, then I'll keep them out of the upper room on the day of Pentecost and I'll have them out on the Sea of Galilee fishing. Can you imagine if that had happened? I left out the back half of uh, Luke chapter 22. Jesus says, but I've prayed for you. He's interceding for us, Simon, because you're the leader. And your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, I need you to strengthen your brothers. In the spring of 2015, we're just months away from launching the church. And this was after that, that video, by the way, was, was filmed in December of 14. Randy and Betty Joe, they are uh, such, a, such a great value to us. Um, but in this season, while we're trying to put the pieces together, remodel that church, there were a lot of rumors, half-truths, mistruths, lies that were spoken about me and about the church. And um, I knew who it was coming from. And I was really, really mad, as you can imagine. And one day, at the, just like the peak of my anger, I called my dad and he said this to me, Steve, there is nothing going on at that church or those churches or anywhere else that has anything to do with Mill City or Nina, Wisconsin. And the devil may not be able to get you wrapped up in some sin, but if he can get you focused on them, 
and what they're doing and what they're saying and, and what's true and what's not true. You, he gets you doing that, then he's got you neutralized. And boy, is that true. We can so easily get wrapped up in things that aren't going the way we thought they should go, and we scrap God's plan thinking that, well, it's not going to come to pass. And what you're also not thinking about is the people around you that are going to be affected by that decision. There's a third point here. <clears throat> when you're living outside of God's will, don't be looking for fruit. God's plan hasn't changed. Now you're going off on your own. You're bringing other people with you. And now you're going to ask God to bless that? Chapter and verse, please. We see that right here. I'm out. This isn't the way I thought it was going to work out. I'm going to go back to what I was doing, what I know to do, what I'm good at. I'm going to go do that. You know, you guys can go do what you want to do. No, 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 we're coming too. Okay, well, hey, we'll just start this new business. We'll start this new deal. We're, we're, hey, we'll, it'll be awesome until there's no results. God, why aren't you doing this? Did I tell you to do that? Well, I thought it felt like, you know, it sure seemed like They caught nothing. Just days before, Jesus would have taught this lesson in John chapter 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. When you're navigating life outside of the will of God, then you really don't have a leg to stand on. You don't have a case. And, and praise God for grace and mercy and favor because we all need it in the worst way. But, you know, just even in practical things, um, day-to-day -day living, when, when you're living outside of God's will, when you know, okay, this is how I'm supposed to treat my wife. This is how I'm supposed to treat my husband. This is how I'm supposed to treat my children. And, and you don't. And then you blame God as an employee. You know, some... Should I or should I not, Jay? Some of the worst employees in this wonderful nation are saved and going to heaven. Lazy, no work ethic, show up late, think that clock time can be used for ministry, you know, just silly stuff. And, and, I mean, what kind of witness is that? It's not. If you're not financially, I mean, one of the greatest, one of the greatest peace of mind in my heart 
is when I get an unexpected bill and I know I am, I have paid my tithe. <laughs> Lord, here's another bill for you. But if I'm not, I got nothing to say. I have nothing to expect from the Lord. And, and I'm, I'm uh, I may be tiptoeing, I may be stomping on your toes, hey, but that's cool. Because surrendered to God's will, your life will produce more fruit than you can imagine. And you see that immediately following here in this passage. Early in the morning, Jesus appears again. He's standing on the shore. The disciples didn't realize it was him. <clears throat> so he calls out to them. Have you caught anything? Any fishermen in the house? Yeah? Don't you love it when you're having a bad day and somebody says, have you tried to throw it on the other side of the boat? <laughs> no, I haven't tried that. I've tried everything but that. Try to throw it on the right side. And when they did, they couldn't even bring it in. It's, it's, it's the, you know, what, the first or perhaps the only miracle that Jesus performs outside of walking through walls. Um, after the resurrection. God's will is going to change throughout your life, for your life. Um, perhaps the question is, God, what do, you, what do you have for me now? What is it that you want me, where is you want me today? What, what, what is it that you're asking of me in this season of my life? I mean, let me think about... Um, those of you who are, are, are married and, and have children and you, you just, just see the, the seasons of life as you move from, you know, taking care of every single thing to I got no control. I'm, I'm just an influencer at this point. And um, having to manage that, uh, your, your, uh, your vocational life. Uh, we've, we've moved, we're in our ninth house in 27 years of marriage. You know, the people that God has surrounded you with. And, and so, you know, God, where do you want me right now? And, and is your life lined up with the will of God? Are you following him? And, and again, we're not talking about per perfection. It's direction. What's the direction of your life? Is it towards the things of righteousness? Where do you sit, stand, and walk? Psalm chapter 1. Where are you sitting? Where are you standing? Where are you walking? Who are you sitting with? Who are you standing with? And who are you walking with? Those are, the, I mean, you, you could probably just start right there. In the back half of this chapter, we can see how God uses failures and disappointments to build us, and to build his church. And there are some real critical ingredients here that we can see in this passage that can help us to see that come, come through. Verse 7, Then the disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he was out of there. He wasn't running away, he was running too. And the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the fish. 
for you analyticals, they were only about 100 yards away. And when they saw, when they landed, they saw fire burning coals with fish on it and some bread. And so Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter jumped back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, and there were 153, in case you're wondering. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord, and Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. Did the same with the fish. This is the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Feed my lamb. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. There's a third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him for a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said, follow me. <clears throat> it's an amazing story. It's an awesome way to end this book because it's a story of not forgiveness, but restoration. That's the heart of God. Restoration means, you know, you're not just forgiven and I'm going to put you now you're going to go back to 11 and you have to work your way up. No, it's, it's restoration. You are forgiven and you have been restored. Over the last seven years and really over the last 25 plus as uh, Sandy and I have served the Lord by serving the church, we have seen, I have seen countless lives negatively affected some even destroyed. Marriages, families, by disappointments and failures. Failures of people, themselves, failures of people, other people affecting them, failures of pastors and leaders, disappointments. Uh, disillusionment, you know, that I thought this was the way, this was my goal, or this, you know, I was supposed to be part of this ministry, or I, something just didn't work out the way they thought it was supposed to. And it, it literally changed the course of life 
for people. And it's heartbreaking. Um, there's like a spiritual blindness that the devil uses. And he uses failures and disappointments to, to do it. And the thing about spiritual blindness is it's twofold. You're blind spiritually and you're blind to it. You can't see what's going on and you can't see that you can't see it. And the devil is prowling around looking for someone to devour. And his target, I would submit to you, isn't non-Christians. It's not non-believers. Why? Because he's already got them. He doesn't have to spend any time. He doesn't have to spend any energy there. He's looking for people that are saved. And <clears throat> now I, I get it. I have been the perpetrator and I have been the victim. And, and I, I carry that. Both, both weights are heavy to carry. Um, but when we started this journey in, in 2013, Sandy and I used to talk for hours about how we would handle things and, and you know, stuff that was going on around us in, in the, the settings we were in. And honestly, the view from this chair is radically different from that chair. And some of the things that we talked about, I would, do the, I would never do some of the things I thought I would do eight years ago. Um, but in this passage... Because restoration is what we all want, isn't it? I mean, nobody wants to just be forgiven. I mean, that's awesome, but I want to be restored. We play a role in that. And, 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 and Peter plays a role in his restoration. And the first thing I would submit to you, and this is not a sermon, another sermon, this is just bringing it in for a landing here. He did not let his failure and disappointment keep him from Jesus. You know, so often, anybody ever having family conflict? <laughs> Look at all the liars that aren't raising their hand. Everybody. Uh, you know, don't, don't you hate that? And then you're stuck at Christmas and Thanksgiving and, and Fourth of July. You've got the Brown family peanut gallery right here. And you're like, ugh. And you just dread the weeks leading up to the visitation and ah. Uh. Why? Because in our human nature, if you're in conflict with somebody, you don't want to deal with them. You don't want to talk to them. You don't want to be around them. You don't want to just want to leave that alone. And, and when in the church, when you fail or other people fail you, or you get your toes stomped on by Pastor Steve. Man, the last thing you want to do is go back for more. But Peter didn't let that happen. P 
Peter had just dramatically failed Jesus in his darkest hour, I would submit to you that none of us in this room would ever have failed anyone as dramatically as Peter did to Jesus himself. And he had not yet been restored until this point. And he sees Jesus and he knows it's him. And in our human nature, what do, what do we want to do? Run the other way. But that's not what Peter did. He ran to Jesus. He jumped out of the boat and he was the only one that did it because he needed that. He needed that forgiveness. He needed that restoration. He needed that cleansing. And I would submit to you, he wasn't going to be restored back to number one. He probably thought, logically, I can't do that. Obviously, I'll be happy just to be number 13. But remember, disappointments and failures don't change God's plan. Second, he allowed the disappointment and failure to humble his heart. And and there's lots of different ways you could go with the three do you love me's or feed my sheep and lambs. And there's, there's tons of direction you could go in this entire chapter. I think John MacArthur has five sermons on this chapter. I I love them, but I don't know that you would. Um, (laughs) There's my man back there, Johnny Mac. Um, What I would submit to you is in his final response, his heart hurt. When you fail... When you fail others, even when you don't mean to, there's room in your heart to allow that to hurt. That's humility. The the one that says, you know, I didn't mean to, they should get over it. That's pride. And God can't work with that. In fact, the Bible says, that God opposes the proud. So God's hand can be three places. It can be on you, it can be off of you, or it can be against you. And when I read that, I hear God's hand is against the pride. And that's, but then it says, but he shows favor to the humble. The humble says, man, I royally messed up here. And I need your forgiveness. I need help. I see. I may not have meant to say that. I mean, how many times, Michael, have I had to go to you and say, oh, total failure. Dad of the year. You don't have to answer. Tons. (laughs) Tons. But let me tell you this. The faster you do it and the more times you do it, the easier it is. And God has this, it's like Neosporin that hits a wound that begins to heal, that sets in healing. And yeah, we're to forgive and forget, and, but you know, forgiveness is hard. But it sure makes it easier when the person comes and asks for that forgiveness, says they're sorry. I mean, that, that's just 
treating people the way we're supposed to be treated. Worship team can come. The, the third thing here is that um, Peter's failure and his disappointment did not keep him from fulfilling the call of God on his life. And, and God, Jesus, gave it to him three times. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Follow me. If you were here at the leadership conference, my brother Dave spoke uh, in the middle session, and he used the Ten Commandments. And um, with the first four, I believe it was, were about our relationship upward, and the last six were about our relationships outward. Love the Lord your God, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's where I read this. It's take care of the people that God has given him to minister to, wherever that is, in whatever season that is, and follow me. Love me and love those who I'm going to surround you with. Back to John 15, Jesus says, I'm the true vine. So if you're looking somewhere else for truth, which there's tons of places in this world today, there's only one place you're going to find it. It's Jesus Christ. There's only one way. And he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. This book will endure. It is true true, true. It is truth, truth, truth. And the Father is the gardener, and he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. I wonder sometimes we think about pruning as discipline. And I'm preparing for this. I wonder, you know, pruning doesn't have to be discipline. Peter needed to be disciplined. There's no question about that. But how about Malchus? Malchus just showed up and got his ear cut off. You could say that's pruning. <laughs> Malchus had to work through offense. Malchus had to work through challenge of forgiving somebody. And I would submit to you that was, that's the heavenly father doing some pruning in his life so that he could minister to other people, so he could be more fruitful. Remain in me. And I also in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Um, I have to be honest with you, um, as I was just reading through this and preparing for this today, I just thought a lot about the church. This is a message for the church. Um, 
last week during our lunch, uh, my brothers and I did a Q&A, and one of the things that came out was the family that God has built here at Mill City Church. So if you're not part of Mill City Church, you maybe you just put this in your back pocket, but, but if you're part of this church, I'm, I want to speak very, um, I want to speak to you from my heart. Dave's been at his church for, I think, 28 years. And they made a decision when their children were born that I want my kids to be, I want them to go from the nursery through high school in the same place. And we didn't have that growing up. My parents, and we're not throwing rocks at my parents by any means, but they were trying to get us into a place where we had friends and, and could could grow. Sadly, that ended up being plugging in here and plugging in there. Because frankly, parents, your children aren't smarter than you. I think that's one of the big problems we have in our society today is uh, parents are not parenting and um, they're letting their children dictate um, what how things ought to be. And uh, there's a lesson for another day that wasn't in my notes. But still true. But we ended up being just pretty much nomadic. We weren't plugged into any church for any long period of time. I have my own sin story. Many of you know it. But just to kind of put a button on that, when he finished, I said, what we've tried to cultivate here at Mill City Church is an environment where people can set aside personal offenses and manage through disappointments and failures for the objective of seeing God's mission fulfilled. And I think too often people allow offenses and disappointments to take root so deeply that it keeps them from fulfilling what God has called them to do and as a body and as a family um, what it ends up doing is, is keeping the church from being able to accomplish what he's called us to do as a, a corporately. And, and I, I have, um, this is preventative preaching here, so I, I've, got, I've got no ax to grind and I'm, I'm not about to put a mugshot uh, on, on the jumbotron here today, but... Um, Sadly, in those types of situations, it's as if people think that they care more about their ministry than God cares about their ministry. When the truth is, if God's called you to do something, he cares more about the people that he's going to be able to reach through you than you do. And we have an example of how easily this can happen actually right here in the next verses. Verse 20 Peter turns, he just hears, okay, I'm about to, you mean when I die, I'm going to be strung up? It's pretty much what he said. And he turns and looks at John and says, what about him? How come he, what, is he going to do? Is this going to happen to him? Why is that going to happen to me? And then Jesus, ever the gentleman, answers him. And he says, what does it matter to you? That's between me and him. 
You have to make your own decision. Make the right decision. Um, the reason I played that video, there was a reason I played that video. It's when Betty Jo says, you don't choose your church, God puts you in a church. And that so struck me, and it has struck me every time. I've probably watched that thing a hundred times in the last eight years. I love that little nod and smile at the end when Randy says, mm, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> My prayer, as we close out the Gospel of John and we transition to 1 Timothy next week, I think that's going to be our 14th book study in seven years, um, is that we commit ourselves I do not promise you that I will never offend you. In fact, it's just easier for me to say multiple times, I promise to offend you. But my heart is to help you, not to hurt you. Um, people will hurt you. People you will spend eternity with at some point will probably come at you with a sword and not try to cut off your ear, but try to cut off your head. And they'll be good people. And they'll love the Lord and they'll probably be on the prayer team. But my prayer is that we would have such a commitment to the Lord and be convinced, you know, God, you put me here for a reason. And you care more about me and more about the ministry that you have given me than I do. And I'm willing to set aside personal offense. I'm willing to set aside failures. I'm willing to set aside my personal failures and, 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 and apologize when I need to and, and, and manage through these things for your glory because we want to see people come to know the Lord more and more and more. We want, why do we do church? It's not just you can come, to, you come together and and worship the Lord and, and read the Bible. And, and I mean, that's awesome. But I mean, ultimately we're here to make heaven more crowded. We want people, to, there's, there's death all around us. And we have the answer to life. And we do church in a particular way that's particularly attractive to some people. We wanna go find them and, and introduce them to life because Jesus has the answer. And if you're not part of this church, if God's not called you, maybe you're visiting here, maybe you're from out of town, my prayer is the same, that you would commit yourself to where God has planted you and that you would get after it with everything you've got and that you would bear much fruit in him. Amen. We teach verse by verse here, so I'm not going to leave the last two verses of John out. I do think they're very important. Look at it, verse 24. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. Listen to this. We know this testimony is true. It has endured. 
it will continue to endure. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word. Thank you for family. And thank you for this church. Thank you for everyone that has been called here, that you have put here. And Father, I pray right now that there would just be a hedge of protection upon our hearts and that there would be a divine unity like we've never before seen. As we enter into our eighth year in the coming months, Lord, let us not be satisfied with what we have seen in the past. We're thankful, praise God, for all that we have been able to see. But Lord, there are people around us every single day that desperately need your truth. And God, may we be your ambassadors, your hands and feet, that people would ask the question, what, what is it? Where does your joy come from? Where does your confidence come from? How, how is it that you can be stable? It's such a changing environment. God, speak through us words and deeds. Pray for those here today that perhaps are wrestling with an offense. Those that are wrestling with a failure, someone else. Those that are perhaps just a few weeks ago looking at that list of types of fathers and said, wow, how, how I have missed the mark. Your word is restoration. And Lord, I just pray that you would soften hearts today. There would be forgiveness extended, forgiveness received. There would be growth and there would be fruit. I pray these things in Jesus' name.